You can turn the lights up a little bit just so people can see their Bibles. How many look at your Bible on your phone? How many look at your Bible on your phone during church? How many are on Facebook while I'm preaching? <laughs> Security, mark these people. You have one more week to fix it, okay? Usually the Sunday after Thanksgiving because of the chemicals in Turkey, people coming out sleepy. I was a little worried, but you guys seemed to break through. I was going to make it mandatory that everybody take a Red Bull shot before they come in. I don't care if you don't like it or not, ma'am, you're going to drink that Red Bull um, because uh, we need to be alert for Jesus. So I'm glad you guys are here. I feel God's presence. I'm excited to uh, round uh, the corner to finish this year strong um, to engage our hearts with Jesus, and then to plan on seeing what God can do, opening our hearts up um, for the wonderful things that the Lord has in store for all of us in 2020. Before I get into this uh, true story, I, I got up today and I put on my clothes and I looked in the mirror and I, the thought literally came to me, Dave, you look like you dress like a new school cult leader today. Um, I don't know why I had that thought. So I was going to change, but instead of changing, I think I'm just going to take back this look for Jesus. Come on, can we get an amen? It all belongs to him, even cult leader outfits. Okay. All right. Um, we uh, have been in a sermon series talking about values and culture. And we've been going through, through, through our four values that we believe that God has called redeemed church to wholeheartedly embrace, embody, and engage. It's, it's all in the mission of Christ. So it's not like we're coming up with four values that are outside of the scripture. But when we look at the character of Christ, we look at the ministry of Christ, we look at the call of Christ that he put on uh, his followers and on this body, we've put it into these four phrases. First, we've talked about bold engagement, that the body of Christ, the church of Jesus, should be marked by bold engagement with Jesus which, which is the abiding life. That although we're not there yet and we're growing, that we should continually pursue a deeper and more intimate walk with Jesus. Because if he's the vine and we're the branches, how many know that the branch really needs the vine to survive and bear fruit? Raise your hand if you know enough about, I don't even know what the word is, agriculture, horticulture. I don't know what it is. It's culture, okay? Um, <laughs> But we need the vine. And there's times in Dave's life, seasons in Dave's life, where I find that like I belong to him, but I'm not intentionally engaging in that abiding life. And when I do consistently, it makes a difference. We also believe that we're called to boldly engage in a life of community with others and in a life of service. This is the expression of the Christian life. Secondly, we talked about bilingual faith. We just wrapped that up and we're gonna move on to something else today, but we believe that we should have a faith that is deeply spiritual, but not weird. Can I get an amen? amen. Peculiar, yes. Um, supernatural, yes. S maybe strange in some ways to the secular mind, yes, but not weird. Meaning that God created us to be human, to be normal, and the more spiritual we get and the more Christ-like we get, we actually become the fuller version of ourselves that God intended in Christ. So we get to keep our personality. Um, we don't have to try and act spiritual. We are spiritual if Jesus lives in us. So relax, you don't have to be weird to be a follower of Christ. We believe that bilingual faith means we have our heart in heaven, but our feet are on earth. It means that we embrace people 
where they're at on their journey, regardless of how ugly their life is, that they belong to, uh, not, not necessarily in the kingdom yet, but we treat folks like they belong before they believe. Meaning that Jesus had dinner with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and he, he got flack for it, but he treated people with dignity and he treated them with respect even though they hadn't put their faith in him yet. And we don't want to be a body that says, hey, we'll show you human dignity once you believe the way we believe. We believe that we love our enemies and we pursue a lifestyle that reaches out and shows Christ's love and commitment to people regardless of where they're at. And then today we start our new value called Bridges to the Broken. So bold engagement, bilingual faith, Bridges to the Broken, and then we'll wrap up on Christmas with Body of Diversity. So we see in scripture that God puts high emphasis and major priority on brokenness, broken people, um, or folks that would fall into the category of brokenhearted. Raise your hand if you've ever been brokenhearted in your life. You know, there's something about the brokenhearted that God is attracted to. And, and, and let me explain that because there's lots of ways you can be broken. There's good brokenness. There's bad brokenness. A lot of it is how you find your healing and who you turn to in your brokenness. That determines how beautiful that brokenness and how effective it can be in producing something in your life. But just like a fragrant scent can draw the nose and can draw the mind and bring pleasure. God doesn't take pleasure in people being crushed, but what God takes pleasure in is what that brokenness can produce when folks turn to him in their brokenness. And I'm going to explain why God is so drawn to brokenness in a moment. But even Jesus, when he came on the scene, he opens up the scroll and he reads back in time when he walked into the synagogue and he he was teaching and ministering among the rabbis and it was his turn. He opened the scroll and he read his place that's written in Isaiah. It was prophesied hundreds of years before and now Jesus shows up in the flesh and he actually reads what was written about him hundreds of years previous by the prophet Isaiah and he says this. This would be his mission statement. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is God's mission. That is God's intent. That is God's priority and his focus. But I think sometimes when we hear bridges to the broken, in fact, it's Statistics show that anytime you do a sermon series on mission, reaching the poor, or giving of yourself, it's the least listened to and least attended sermon series. Why? Because, not that it's bad, there's a lot of encouragement and inspiration and revelation and intellect and hope personally that we find in scripture. But I think that so many times we're, we're always looking for what can I get that we forget about God gives to us so he can give through us. The cycle actually starts to rot or, or, or what comes into us, it doesn't produce what it's supposed to if there's no cycle out. Think of everything we take in, it has to have a way to leave. Okay, so like you take a breath in, you ate food, I won't go any further than that, but what comes in must go out. 
The Dead Sea is this body of water that takes in, but it doesn't give out. That's why nothing can live in it. And so we, we tend to hear this, oh man, now I feel guilted because I got to go serve at, you know, a soup kitchen or I got to, or we hear, hey, bridges to the broken. We think of, okay, that means homeless people living under a bridge. Bridges to the broken mean that we're supposed to find ways to reach the extreme drug addict who's burned every bridge relationally who's destroyed their life. And so if I don't serve in the homeless ministry or I don't serve and celebrate recovery or I'm not reaching those who are down and out, maybe the ladies coming out of sex trafficking and the jail ministry, if I don't serve in that, then really I'm not reaching the broken. But that's not all that brokenness includes. When you look at brokenness in its bigger picture and in its context, It's much wider than just the extreme cases that I mentioned, although those are incredibly important avenues for the the church to serve. But what does it mean to be broken? What does it mean to be brokenhearted? What is this brokenness that God calls us to engage? The definition is crushed, overwhelmed. It means to be shattered or overly burdened. Have any of those words ever been a near and dear companion to you before? Come on, I've been there. And if you live long enough and you're not in denial, you're gonna face that thing too. Even if you never end up homeless or on drugs. So this could mean brokenness of the lostness of a soul. So the the most broken person on the planet is the person that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You might be sitting in here today and you don't know Jesus. The Bible says that you're literally a walking dead person meaning that you have this physical life, but eternal life is not in you. And the only way that you'll spend eternity in real life is to believe on the author of life himself who died instead of you so that he can live through you when you put your faith in him. It's the divine exchange, amen? So there's that brokenness. There's the brokenness of a believer in sin. We see David, I think it's in Psalm 51. He says a broken spirit and a contrite heart, this God will not despise. He's repenting because he he had committed adultery and murder to cover up the adultery. And so here's somebody that loved God. He was broken because of his sin. And in his brokenness, he turns to the Lord. We see the brokenness of life and circumstances. Sometimes it's not sin. We didn't do anything, but because we live in a world that has been corrupted through the fall of man, things happen. But it's not random, it's not just chance. God is still in control, but there are times that weeping seems to continue and the burdens and the struggles when you think they're gonna lift. You know, you find yourself in seasons where it just gets heavier, it gets darker, and it feels more hopeless. You're serving God, you're praying, you're seeking the Lord, but it doesn't seem to lift. God turns his eyes to folks that are in those situations. God is highly aware when we're in that state. And then there's the brokenness of beautiful surrender. And this is when humility starts to win out in our life over pride. And we find ourselves maybe like the guy we talked about last week or um, Job or whatever. We find ourselves doing all the right things but trusting in our good works. We find ourselves trusting in our kingdom, trusting in our ability to make money or whatever it might be. But then one day, 
God brings us to a place of brokenness and maybe there's no bankruptcy involved. Maybe there's no tragedy, no car wreck, but we have this encounter with the God who is righteous, who is holy and standing there face to face, if you will, in his presence, we realize that our righteousness is as filthy rags and we have this moment of brokenness where we say, God, forgive me because I have been giving myself the credit and hoisting myself and my righteousness above others. And then all of a sudden we see humility went out over pride and self-trust. I don't know what it is, but you think about where do we find brokenness? It doesn't need to be under a bridge, although there's plenty of brokenness there. Think about the brokenness that is represented simply in the 10 people that meet in your life group or the people that are connected to the 10 people that meet in your life group. Think about the marriage pain. Think about the desperation in a child gone astray. Think about the hidden addictions. And someone opens up and says, hey, I've got this addiction or this thing going on and, and it's been killing me. I've been so broken and I've felt so lost and so overwhelmed by it. Maybe it's financial. We live in a military community. I've seen a lot of brokenness from folks that one of the spouses deploys and here we go, here's 12 months, 14 months, 16 months and my spouse won't be here. And then the brokenness of that spouse returning and we've kind of learned to exist and function without you here and now you're coming back with some stress and you've seen some things and now there's, there's hostility in the home and there's tension. That's brokenness. Think about the situations, the divided friendship, the loneliness that people feel. And if God prioritizes broken hearts and we are given the ministry of Christ, then we should prioritize brokenness as well. And we should be the first ones as followers of Jesus that when we see the struggle and we see the boulder and we see the pain that people are under, that we make time and we make room and we're willing to dive into the mess and get our hands dirty and maybe give up some nights of sleep and show up in someone's scenario because God came all the way from heaven in perfection and absolute comfort and to reach us brokenhearted people, he came down and he moved into our neighborhood and he took on our humanity and he walked on our streets of dirt and he embraced the whip, the pain, the torture, and the mockery so that when he got into the middle of the mess and people even messed him up in the process, he would provide a way of hope for those who needed it. And we are the carriers of his presence. Amen. Do you believe that today? Amen. You can give him praise for that. So, so when we look at this, and, and, and this is powerful because broken people and broken hearts being God's priority um, this is an expression of our faith and our devotion. Look at this, Psalm 147.3 says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Psalm 34.18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. So how does he do this? How does God actually do this? 
Well, I think one way is in our deep despair, you've felt this before, in your agony and in your anxiety, uh, sometimes you're seeking God and he'll just show up and it could be by yourself and he meets you with his Holy Spirit and he shows up in a way in your valley that you could never imagine. And there are times that the suffering or the pain or the heartache might go on, but having the comfort of God's presence right there with you, it's almost sometimes better than healing. What I mean by that is, yes, we want the problem solved, but when the presence of God and when the relational closeness of the Lord is with us, there's nothing more satisfying and consoling than the comforter himself ministering to us personally in our pain. And if you've never felt that, this is why we call you to boldly engage in the vine because God wants you to know him in that depth. But then there are times that you pray and you don't feel him and he allows that at times. There's times that it'll be the word of God, you get a scripture and you open up your Bible or somebody says something, you hear a sermon and the word of God just washes over you with hope because the spirit of God makes it alive. But I wanna say that, yes, it's the Lord doing the healing and the comforting and the lifting of the burden, but God chooses to use his people primarily to bring his love, his hope, and his healing. And so generally when God brings healing or comfort to the brokenhearted, he's going to call somebody in the body of Christ to minister to that person in the body of Christ or outside of the body of Christ who's under the heavy burden. So think about this. If God is going to draw near to the brokenhearted, yes, he will by his spirit. But what if he's calling you? What if you're the one who notices it and you're the one who's pricked with a burden for the overly burdened? Because God wants to draw near to that person and he needs a vessel to do it. This is the divine human cooperative where God doesn't just save us and then have us hold on till heaven, but he, he brings us into his ministry. He brings us into his plan and he does the supernatural eternal work of Jesus Christ and his mission every single day if our eyes are opened to see it and engage it. Now look at this. The Bible says that wherever you go, remember the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so when, you, when you're at a grocery store and you see somebody that's in tears, you know, you got to be tactful. Uh, you, you don't want to just barge into every situation. There's times that, you know, you need to keep your nose out of somebody's business and you need a sense, is this you calling me, Lord, or is, is this not my time and maybe I'm just supposed to pray? But sometimes we feel awkward. We don't know how to engage it. But as a believer, my life isn't just going to work, coming home, paying the bills, and stacking a 401k until I can retire. My every day is an adventure on mission for Christ, even in the small things. And so if the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that means that everywhere I go, that Jesus himself wants to minister through me and show people the love and the hope that he has and what he purchased for people. So why is God attracted? And why should we be aware? What is this big emphasis on a crushed spirit, a broken heart, or a broken soul? Here's why I believe that God puts such, such emphasis on it, and he wants us to engage wholeheartedly. 
It means this, when someone is broken or crushed or overwhelmed, this is a place that people are most open to embracing, to surrendering, and to depending on God. I've done enough funerals to know that folks that would never come to church, folks that would never open their hearts or their ears to Jesus at a wedding or at the birth of a child, at a funeral when there's heartache and they're faced with that curtain that we all have to pass through and you see them wrestling with the agony of a loss. In that brokenness, I've seen people that are so hard become soft and open to answers they never wanted to ask the question for before. There are times that when we get, even in our own lives as believers, when I come to a place and I say, I cannot lift the weight any longer. I cannot make this happen on my own strength anymore. I can't muster up one more ounce of strength to overcome whatever's coming against me. And I don't have any power in myself to get through this. In those moments, we find in that brokenness that we turn to the one we should have been turning to the whole time. And that's where, why is God attracted to it? Because all he wants is for us to be dependent on him. Whether we have a lot or we have a little, we understand that we're desperate in any state that we're at. And brokenness has this ability to open our eyes to the fact that he is our source, he's our healer, and he's our strength. And when we see people that are broken, generally it's the greatest ministry opportunity in the world, even if we never say a word to them. If we just show up and we cry with them and we mourn with them, it's, it's, it's an opportunity to let God show up and be the answer that they're looking for. Because I spent a lot of years trying to fix my own problems, trying to pick myself up by my bootstraps, keeping people at bay, keeping people at a distance, don't want to risk being vulnerable. And I came to places in my life where I didn't have enough strength to do it on my own. And at that place, I found God in a deeper way. And I also found God's plan for interdependence on my brothers and sisters in Christ, which brings a unity and a blessing from God that only comes when we say, I can't do this by myself. I need him and I need you. And this is the beauty that brokenness brings. And this is the call for his people to get involved. So I asked the question and I'm gonna wrap up with this. And then I have a couple that I wanna interview just to close this thing. What is it about believers that, and I've been guilty, we've all, all been guilty, but why do believers not engage broken hearts? Whether they're saved, Christian or unsaved, what, what, is, it about, what is it about us that when, there are needs and there's aches and there's pain. We let people go lonely. What is it about believers who should, who should be marked by a love that blows the world's mind? They will know that you're my disciples and that you have loved one for another. It's not just a saying. It's not just a feeling of fondness for another person in the church. But it's a love that was demonstrated in Jesus willing to lay his life down and be inconvenienced. Because if you look at it, Jesus didn't hide the fact that if you follow him, salvation is free. It's a gift of God. We're saved by grace through faith. But the Christian walk 
he described as carrying a cross. We need to pick up our cross and follow him. He, hid, he didn't hide the fact that birds have nests, foxes have holes, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Do you still want to come follow me? He didn't hide the fact that the Christian life would be marked by some suffering, some need for endurance, some need for comfort, but it will also be the pathway to the abundant life of joy and fulfillment that you cannot find any other way. So, so why, when we know that's the marching orders, do we find ourselves letting folks just suffer and wither and wilt? And I'm not saying you specifically, I'm just saying the body of Christ in general, especially in the West. And I thought, you know what it is? It's, it's like the triple C of our culture. I think that we have, because we live in this culture, there's some good things, but also we get brainwashed because the way you think determines the way you live. That's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we have a culture that's constantly trying to renew our mind toward a worldly way of thinking. And Jesus Christ is trying to get us to renew our mind according to the truth of scripture. And so we find that in this culture we live, we are bombarded constantly by consumerism, by comfort, and by convenience. Say amen if you believe that that's true. Now, I'm not the type of dude, because I hear preachers all the time, like, it's like you have to pursue a life of suffering or you're, or, or you're not pleasing God. Like, how dare you have a television, that one-eyed devil, you're watching SpongeBob and you could be reading your Bible. SpongeBob is going to hell and you're going with him, right? I'm, I'm not that dude. Like, God told us to enjoy this life, but as we live in a culture that provides a lot of comforts, and a lot of opportunity, and a lot of convenience, we can't allow those blessings to transform our theology. We cannot filter the gospel through those three C's. Here's what I mean. I think about like the things that have developed and evolved over time, and how everything in our current age, it's always moving toward inventions and advancements and technology that aim at selling goods for people to consume, which create more comfort and which create more convenience in our lives. Now listen, this is good. It's good for our economy. The reason you have a job is because someone consumes the products that you make or sell, right? So I'm not saying this is bad, but, and, and I love it. I love that things get easier and we can save time with technology or whatever but I can't allow it to shape the expression of my faith. So I was thinking about some of this stuff, the, the remote control. Going back, and I remember when we got our first television. So just kind of look at how this, this, this moves and how it gets into our faith. I remember like as a kid, I was the remote control. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We had that big, well, it wasn't big. It was like, it was huge for us, but I think we had a 13-inch television. And... My dad used to have a stand there and it had all those numbers on it. And he'd say, click one more to the right, click. And so we would literally stand there until we got the channel that he liked. And then pretty soon it, it got to, you got a remote control and you could sit on the couch. You wouldn't need to get up. Then, you know, it, it progressed. And now we've got a remote control that we could just say ESPN HD. You just command it and it'll move. Or you could say fast forward 10 minutes. 
And so things get easier. They get more convenient. Again, not a sin. I love it. It's great. But you can see how everything is tailored toward me, my convenience, my comfort. And we bring that to church sometimes. What about music? Like listening to music. My dad used to play albums, you know, vinyl. And I remember when I got the first like cassette tape. It was like a Walkman or whatever. You put the tape in and they had those cheap headphones that had no bass. A three mile an hour breeze would blow them off your head. No jogging unless you duct taped your head, you know. And uh, I was just laughing because I was thinking, man, like, so I used to listen to some of the great gospel hymn albums of all times, like uh, Ice Cube, America's Most Wanted, and Snoop and DJ Quick. And, uh, but do you remember, like, you'd have this cassette set and you'd put it in, and if you wanted to go to track number five, you had to sit there and fast forward. You didn't know where it would land. It took you like 13 minutes just to get there. And then you went, you went past it one song, so you'd rewind, and then you, would, you wouldn't hit the beginning, and... It was just normal to us. And then CDs came out. And then we had that shuffle. You know, it didn't have a screen, but you could put like 82 songs on it, but you had to memorize what order it was in because you had to just click through. And then all of a sudden, like, now we live in this day and age where, how many have Alexa in your house? The all listening ear, right? So I could just say, Alexa, play Millie Vanilli. And then bam, there it is. You know what I'm saying? It's like instant, so convenient. I know some of, some of the boomers are like, well, what about eight tracks? And then their parents are like, all we had was albums. And before that, you know, the great grandparents are like, hey, we didn't have none of that. Y'all need to stop whining. We had to make our own music. We played spoons in the snow while the Germans were bombing us. And we were grateful to have spoons as our only form of music, right? God. So, but we went from spoons in a bombing raid as our entertainment to now we could just say something and if Alexa's in the vicinity, we could pipe music wherever we want. I was thinking of this lastly and then kind of like tie this in, but fast food, like there used to be a day and age where you used to have to cook your food <laughs> at your house, but life got busy. And so, you know, restaurants came around and so you'd, You'd sit, you'd wait. I never thought it took too long to, to get my meal. I think the nicest restaurant we went out to as kids, honestly, I think it was Denny's or Sizzler's. And, uh, you know, I got to experience more later, but then fast food came. And now sitting in a restaurant, it's almost like you want to file a lawsuit. Like, this is wrong. This shouldn't take this long. So, so now, you, now you get the drive-through. And, and how many, just raise your hand if sometimes it's, it's 10 minutes instead of five and you get irritated. Just be honest. Be honest. Like you get irritated. Now you don't even need to leave your home. Uber Eats. Like I can stay in my full body onesie unicorn pajama outfit. Call Uber Eats and they will show up at my door with a bag of burgers. And I send my kids to answer the door. I don't even need to get up. Right? <laughs> I don't wear a unicorn onesie. Who would wear that as a grown man? Um, but, but think about this. What, I mean, what's next? It's going to be like, not Uber Eats, but it'll be like Uber hand feeding. I brought it to your door. I might as well bring it to your mouth, right? <laughs> and so, so all, all that's great. All that's wonderful. But I think what it does, whether it's the internet or now self-driving cars, 
or Amazon delivering what you order within 28 seconds of you pushing send. It's, it's insane. All of that is great, but we cannot assume that our culture of consuming, of comfort and convenience has not impacted our theology and our faith lifestyle, including the inconvenient reality of being agents of healing and comfort to the brokenhearted and to broken lives. Because if you understand this, usually broken people, they come with some emotional stuff. And if you're gonna dive in to helping Dave in his most broken state, you're, you're, gonna have to, you're gonna have to go through some emotion with me. And, and you're gonna have to walk with me and help me see when I'm not seeing clearly because of my shattered lens. When I, I don't wanna open up and I need to and you're trying to help me get there. See, it doesn't fit the convenient lifestyle. It doesn't fit the comfort zone because it demands that we give of ourselves and we go out of our way to fulfill the mission of God's plan to bring healing. And so we can be easily irritated and exasperated or disinterested or bothered by anything that threatens our comfort and our preferences and our personal routine. We love people. We want to help them. In our hearts and in our minds, we want to, but to jump into the drama, it just costs me too much time and energy and I don't have room for it in my schedule. Jesus had room in his existence for the cross. He had room in his existence to be patient with us and love us and die for us while we were yet sinners. And he said, if you're gonna be my follower and you're gonna be a recipient of all the benefits, I also want you to be an expression of the life that is willing to lay its own self down for the sake of somebody else. Can I get an amen if you believe that that is the way God's called us to live? I'm glad 31 of you feel good about that. So I wanna close with this interview. I'm gonna have Chad and, and Katie come on up and then we're gonna just close with one last song. I was talking with Chad and Katie. They stayed at our house during this Thanksgiving week. We were just talking about the brokenness in their own lives and the things that they've been going through and how they've been processing it personally. And I thought that this was such a good uh, lesson for us as the body of Christ. They're believers. They're not staying in a food line. Um, they're not spending nights in a homeless shelter. Again, the way we categorize brokenness, right? Katie leads worship at her church. Chad is a pillar in the church, gives his time to coach and minister to families through, through sports and in their community. He's involved in a business with one of his family members. And, and yet uh, my nephew, um, Keenan, has gone through some major health struggles. And over the years, just walking with them and and seeing how they handle this. Talk about what brokenness has looked like in your life. You love Jesus, you're praying people, you're involved, and yet your kid is going through something that creates such a heavy burden. And so talk about what Keenan has been facing and, and how it has affected you. First of all, I just wanna apologize if my, wife, if my uh, 
voice gets super cracked and really high because I start crying. I thought you were going to say if my wife cries. I apologize if my wife cries. Um, I will. No, go ahead, babe. So our, our son, who is now 12, when he was eight, he got sick with the virus. And from that point on, we just dealt with different health things. There was fear in the middle of it because when they were testing for certain things, he'd get better than get worse, um, went blind, had tremors, continual pain. He's doing well now, still working through it. So that's kind of what the process for the last four years we've been through with him. During that time, you don't want to, we had our small group and they were incredible. But sometimes you just don't want to continue. Okay, he's he's sick again. Oh, he's better. Oh, he's sick again. Like you don't you don't want to burden the people you think that you're um, annoying them because it's just the same thing over and over again. So for us, I'm home. I was home with him, and there were some lonely days, lots and lots of tears, and I would get a call or a text, or someone would stop at the door. Don't know why I'm crying about it, but with like a, a drink for me, like a coffee or a treat for Keenan, um, and it wasn't anything big, but or someone would just send send a text, hey, just thinking of you, how's it going? I love you. Um, you're not alone in this. So yeah, I'm I'm obviously I'm making it short, but it was it was a lot. Um, well, I would say too with uh, life groups, and I'm involved in a men's group as, as well, and just being able to pour out your heart and cry with brothers and sisters. Um, it's not really something that you need someone to say something to you, but just put their arm around you and cry with you. Yeah. And that strength you get from each other and why it's so important as a body of Christ to come together as believers. And the Bible says to bear one another's burdens. And that's what it is. It's not that you're replacing, you can ever replace God and you can just give a quick scripture that's gonna solve a problem like that. But it's coming underneath them and really giving them that, to help carry that weight. Like, oh, there's somebody that's with me through this. There's someone that's praying for me. There's someone that's just along for the ride. Yeah. And uh, that in itself is so important. The prayer, the all the other things that happen are fantastic, but just someone coming alongside of you. Yeah. And not just, it wasn't like a week. I mean, it's years. It's been years. Yeah. And he's getting better, but there's still, it's still not right. It's still not 100%. Yeah. And so just being willing to walk with people and walk with them how they are, accept them for who they are, mm-hmm. um, is so important. And in this process, uh, just talking to Chad, he was just like, hey, man, just in some of my raw moments, I mean, these are faith people. You know, when, if, if you're sick, they're going to pray that God heals you and they're going to believe that God can do anything. Uh, we've seen it. We've done ministry together for years and years and years, and we've seen the miraculous. We've seen stuff that just doesn't make any sense, but we've also seen that like, man, you can contend and you can pray and God, why aren't you moving? And so Chad, as much as possible, I just think this is so good for believers to hear because, you know, you have one side, like, I don't even want to believe God because if God doesn't do a miracle, then I'm going to be let down. And then you have some people that are like, the only language we're going to speak is God has to heal hundred percent of the time. He's going to come through. Don't be negative and make any room for any other outcome. I think that we're supposed to be believers who believe God for the best, but understand that 
He's in control no matter what happens. And he has a way to bring his ministry to us regardless of where we're at in the struggle. But I thought it was just so refreshing, man, to hear about some of the raw moments that you had and some of the conversations that you had with God. And I think that, I think that folks here might need to understand the permission we have to be able to wrestle in those moments. What did those raw moments look like for you? And how would you describe your brokenness? Um, yeah, I call them David prayers. There's a lot of Psalms where David's at the beginning of the Psalm. He's, he's just like asking God, like, where were you? What, what's going on? Why is this happening? But then at the end, he's like, but you are my rock. You are my refuge. You are my hiding place. And, uh, there was many of those. I go down to my basement. Sorry. And I get on my knees and I just cry out to God. I'm like, God, I can't do this. I can't leave my family. And I'm broken. And I gotta go to work. And I gotta do all the different things that I have to do on a regular day. And I'm just like, God, I can't carry this. And God's peace would just, it would just come every single day. Every single time I cry out after being, after yelling at him for like, why are you doing this? And his peace and his joy and his strength every day would meet me there. My son didn't get any better. The things didn't change. The circumstances weren't, there wasn't thunder and lightning. And all of a sudden, everything was 100%. There was still the struggle. There was still the pain. There was still walking through stuff together with my wife. Um, there was still our other two kids that we were trying. We want to pour our lives into and not just take all the focus on our middle guy. Um, and it was amazing. Just the raw, basically just getting mad at God. I would just get mad at him. And then his spirit would still come. And he's just like, Chad, I got you. Yeah. I got you. Yeah. And it was amazing because I'm just like, God, I'm such a fallen person. Mm-hmm. I'm not special. And he's like, God, God's like, you are special. Yeah. I created you. Yeah. I designed you. Yeah. You are mine. And when I, probably months of struggling with this, um, and, and many tears, um, I just begin to rest in it. Mm-hmm. And I begin to believe that I was his and that he does have this and whatever the circumstance may be, however it ends up good, bad, if nothing changes, that it's, it's okay. And my, my hope isn't in Christianity. My hope is in Jesus Christ. That's right. Amen. You know, we, uh, and, and we'll close with this and, and give you a chance just to let God minister to you, but we were talking about the balance of when is it we're in battle mode and, and we're fighting and we're believing, and then where's that line of acceptance? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in accept this moment in the season, and I, I don't know that there's any answer. I mean, for you individually, you gotta hear from God yourself according to scripture, or if there's no specific scripture for it, just sensing what God's doing in you in the moment, but we know this. We need Jesus, we need his presence, we need his word, and we need people, we need people in our lives. 
you read in Job and it says his seven friends came to him and it says that they traveled this great distance and for seven days they just sat and didn't say a word, just sat with Job. And what I love about this story is we've been contending and battling for our nephew. You know, it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to have some magic theological answer. You can just simply show up and sit on the couch and have a 30-minute conversation. You know, be careful not to stay too long because that can be annoying. (laughs) You got to read the moment. But I don't know where you're at today. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes. and, And again, out of respect for the Holy Spirit, in our culture of convenience and comfort and consumerism, we always got somewhere to go and something to get to. We always got something rushing us, me included. So I want you to just let that voice leave your mind. And in this moment, I want you to be honest about your own heart. You might be in here today and you're brokenhearted and you don't even know why. You don't even have an answer for it. Or maybe there's something going on that you can definitely point to and you just feel like there's some shattering in your life. You feel like you can't take another step. You're just weighed down. Listen, we've been contending. Kenan's been getting better, which is just praise God for that. But there's more contending. But wherever you're at, God said that he came to heal the brokenhearted. The name that was given to the Holy Spirit when he was promised was the comforter, meaning, hey, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, the comforter. What does that mean when he's given that title? It means that you're probably gonna need comfort. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you have a broken heart in some way, shape or form, or there's brokenness that you have in your life that you feel you need healing for, I want you to raise your hand and say, you know what? I need the healing touch of God. Come on, hold him up high. Don't be embarrassed, don't be embarrassed. Praise God. Praise God, anyone else? Many hands. I want you to look up at me. We're gonna, we're gonna do this. We're gonna sing one more song. And I'm gonna ask that if you raised your hand, I'm gonna ask that you come forward and let one of our response team or our life group leaders, um, we're gonna be ready to pray for you. Let the body minister to the body in the name and by the presence of Jesus. We're gonna pray that God would bring comfort to your situation, healing to your situation. But we have to bear other people's burdens, but we also have to share our burdens. If I don't let people in and I don't let people close and I don't engage in community and I don't become vulnerable, there's healing available. But if I don't let that healing come to me through transparency and risking a little bit, I can walk around with a boulder that's too heavy to carry and there are people ready to join their faith with ours and we can lift that thing. So as we go into this next song, we're going to all stand to our feet. But if you raised your hand, please come down and please let us pray for you. But come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, in this moment, we don't want to be rushed. God, there's no more important place to be right now than in the comforting presence and the healing presence of Jesus. And I'm praying right now that miracles would take place. 
as folks come forward and they bring their broken hearts and their broken souls and their broken lives and they agree and as you minister through your ministers I pray that Father God that supernatural eternal work of healing would take place here today we thank you that you're present now meet us and I pray that as you're worshiping today, that you would not just be a spectator, but you would be agreeing for those getting prayer and you would be worshiping the God who's bringing the healing. Can we do that today? Praise God. Come on, why don't you lead us guys? If you need prayer, come on down.